to Psalm 110. This is probably one of the most important of the Psalms as far as prophecy is concerned. It's a real turning point in Scripture in that it's the first indication that the Messiah was going to be both king and priest. And we'll see how that Jesus is going to tell us that David uh, was inspired when he said that. And uh, uh, we'll see that in a moment. But uh, there's over 25 times in the New Testament that either verse 1 or verse 4 of this psalm is used. It's used, verse 4 is used extensively in the book of Hebrews, over 10 times. A high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And, uh, and uh, it's impossible for God to lie, so he swore by himself. And we'll see that, uh, we see that uh, God swore. You know, in other words, he took an oath uh, himself about what he was going to do with Israel and with the Messiah. And so this is a key passage. Of course, it's a messianic psalm, which means that it's a psalm that was written about the Messiah. It was a prophecy of the Messiah. It also tells us, since the Lord says that uh, David wrote it, and that David is prophesying that the Lord Jesus is going to be a conquering king and an everlasting priest, then that makes David a what? Makes him a prophet. And so David was a prophet and a king. Um, We know that uh, Melchizedek was a priest and a king. Uh, And there were several different people that had two of the three, but no one in scripture or in the world has ever been prophet, priest, and king, except whom? The Lord Jesus. And so we see that uh, this connection between the priest and the king is a key issue in the Bible. It, uh, It involves the incarnation. It involves inspiration. Uh, It involves uh, um, the the priesthood of our Lord Jesus and what he is doing now, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. And he's seated in the heavenly. We'll see many times where this is referred to by Jesus, Peter, Paul, the writer of Hebrews. Uh, They just, uh, they really keyed in on these verses about uh, the Messiah. And so let's begin reading in verse 1 of Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand that I may make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. Now, some of this is going to be explained. Some of it, admittedly, is a little difficult in the phraseology. But uh, we see now that uh, the Lord says to my Lord. That is a very interesting statement. We have to realize there's two different names for God there. You have Jehovah or Yahweh, saying to Adonai, 
the all-sufficient one. Sit at my, uh, to, he says, sit at my right hand, which means take your throne. And of course, sitting at the right hand of God is uh, co-equal. And so we see that God the Father is saying to Adonai, and isn't Jesus the all-sufficient one? Isn't he the bread of life? Isn't he the light of the world? Isn't he the water of life? Um, isn't he the one who could supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ, our riches in, in Christ Jesus? And so we see that, uh, that the Lord Jesus uh, is the all-sufficient one. And so, and I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. And so we see then that uh, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jehovah said to my Lord, he said, sit at my right hand. So you have God the Father and saying to Adonai, so evidently, so obviously we're talking about two different people in the Godhead. Now, how do we interpret that? That's why we need to turn over and see what Jesus said about this in Mark chapter 12. Now, there, Matthew, Mark, and Luke both record this, but um, I think it, you know, it's, more, it's the most adamant with Mark in chapter 12 when we see that uh, now the Lord had, um, uh, had talked with, and remember the Pharisees and other people prior to his uh, crucifixion, they just drummed all kinds of questions at him and tried to trick him and all that. And uh, of course, he always straightened it out and he always gave them perfect answers. And it got to the point that, um, uh, that they say, now, now after this, in verse, um, in verse 35, the last part of it, or the, verse 34, he says, but after that, no one dared question him. I mean, he shut him up. He got to the point where it, they just became so embarrassed about the very questions that they were trying to trick him on that uh, Mark says that uh, they got to the point where they wouldn't question him anymore. But now the Lord turns the tables. And he gives them a very difficult question. And so we see, now when the Lord saw that, uh, saw that he answered wisely, excuse me, uh, verse uh, 35, then Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes, those are the people that know the law. Remember, those are the lawyers. Those are people who should know the Old Testament. How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself, notice emphatic, David himself said by the Spirit. So the Lord Jesus is telling us that David was inspired when he wrote Psalm 110. I can say without a shadow of a doubt that all the Bible is inspired, but the Lord emphatically, when you say something like this in the Greek, when David himself, God is saying, nobody else could have done it, and this was... I mean, David wrote it, and it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so that uh, takes care of the inspiration. And he says um, that, uh, how is it that the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstools. Therefore, David himself calls him Lord how is it that he is his son? Now, okay, what has to happen? Now, here David is calling the Messiah Adonai, which is another name, and that's uh, I am that I am, the all-sufficient one. That's uh, where it was revealed by, all the way back to Abraham. 
And so David is calling him Adonai. But and the question is then, if he is the Messiah, then uh, how can he be David's son? Now, wait a minute. If he's God, how can he be David's son? Okay, what's the answer? One word, what's the answer? The incarnation. How could Jesus become the son of David and the son of God at the same time? Because he, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And of course, the word was God. And so here we have the incarnation that the Lord says that the Messiah how can you, boy, and they didn't answer him. And this is one of those key questions. Remember blind Bartimaeus? And he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. What did the, what did the crowd try to do with Bartimaeus when he was yelling that out? Tried, they tried to shush him. Because you know, it wasn't popular to say Jesus was the son of David because he would be also saying Jesus is the Messiah and proclaiming it and yelling it out in public. And so we see that this is one of those key passages. And like I said, it's used several times. In fact, uh, I gave you a whole list of them. Jesus said, uh, they called, uh, David called the Lord Messiah, called him Lord. Um, we see that Peter at Pentecost, um, he, uh, David prophesied Jesus as deity in Acts chapter 2, verse 34 and 35. I wish we had time to just go through and examine each one of these. In fact, this is a whole message in itself just on this one verse. In fact, uh, I just, I mean, I, of course, I look at several different books and commentaries whenever I try to get the notes together. But uh, several of the commentaries I looked at already had four or five pages before they got to, page, uh, before they got to the first verse. I'm going, man, this is a lot of, this is heavy stuff. How do you put it into a Wednesday night, August meeting where everybody is, you know, uh, they're not, they're not brain dead, but they're not ready for, you know, intricate discussions and deep theology. But uh, here we see that uh, Peter at Pentecost uh, prophesied Jesus as deity. Uh, Paul explains the rule and dominion of the Lord in 1 Corinthians 15, that resurrection chapter, Chapter 15, verse 25. The writer of Hebrews. Now, the reason I would put Hebrews rather than Paul, because I don't think Paul wrote Hebrews. Some people do. Sometimes I read it, and I think he did, but uh, it's just such, if you've ever translated, and I, and I have translated Romans, and I've translated Hebrews, and they're totally different styles. It just it would be very difficult to think that the same writer wrote both. And the writer of Hebrew does, Hebrews does not say it was Paul. So there again, it's open to discussion. Um, now, if you believe that it's Paul, uh, I'm not a heretic and neither are you. You know, It's just one of those that we don't know or there's a big discussion. Good people disagree on it. And when p good people disagree with it, then I just kind of leave it alone. I mean, other than keep it in the middle as long as both good people say that it's inspired. That's all, I'm, all that matters to me. But Hebrews 1.13, remember when the Lord says he's, uh, that the Lord Jesus is, is higher than the angels. And that whole the last part of, of Hebrews talks about the Lord is superior to the angels. In Hebrews 10.13, he says, he emphasized the rule and dominion of the Messiah. And so we see that. 
The word Adonai refers to an individual greater than the speaker. So if David is calling him Adonai, then he, and David was king, then he was saying that this man is superior to me. The Lord has said to my Lord. Jehovah has said to my God, or to Adonai. And so uh, David was saying that, so he would, David was recognizing that uh, this, this uh, what he was talking about, that the Holy Spirit was revealing to him, was that he was talking about somebody superior to him. And so uh, the Messiah is greater than David, yet he's the son of David, and that's where we have the incarnation. And so uh, you can't escape that. And what the Lord was doing, he was pinning these Pharisees down. Uh, how do you call him the son of David, the Messiah? And uh, uh, if he was, uh, and yet how can he be the son of David? Hosanna, remember even whenever they had the uh, triumphal entry. Hosanna, the son of David. They were looking forward. And Matthew starts off with uh, Jesus Christ coming from the tribe of David. And of course, uh, Isaiah tells us that, of course, the virgin shall conceive. And, it talks, and they all knew that out of the roof and stem of Jesse. Of course, Isaiah 52 and 53 there. And so it was all prophesied that Jesus was going to come, or that the Messiah was going to come from the root and the stem and the branch of David. And so uh, we see that he says, okay, if that's the case, how could David, being a king, um, say that uh, this man, that he was superior, and yet he's called the son of David, and he knew that he'd just, walk, he'd just come into that triumphal entry, and he had the whole town saying he was the son of David. And so here he's got these Pharisees in a bind. Politically, they couldn't say a thing until they figured out how to kill him. And so he really shut them up doctrinally. So this is, this has to do, this is biblical, as far as biblical inspiration. It's, uh, it's so important when you deal with uh, um, inspiration as well as prophecy, as well as uh, the Trinity, or deity. This is one of those key verses in the Bible. 20, over 24 times it's cited. Uh, and, and, uh, and the writer of Hebrews uses, it, uses chapter, verse 4. Uh, now he, he uses verse 1, but he also uses uh, verse 4 10 different times. So over a, over a dozen times in the book of Hebrews, uh, these term, this, this uh, is a proof text of, of the deity, the priesthood, and the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's vitally important that uh, we get this right. Now, we see then, he says, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now, God the Father spoke to the Messiah, and he says to, uh, that, uh, of course, we know in Ephesians chapter 1, we looked at that several times, Verse one, chapter 1, verse 20, says that, uh, that he is seated in the heavenlies, talking about Jesus Christ. He's in the heavenlies or in heavenly places, which is uh, uh, literally in the heavenlies. And of course, he's seated on the throne. And we see those thrones within Revelation chapter 4 and 5 and all through the book of Revelation. Revelation talks about the throne, thrones and talks about the Lord Jesus on a throne more than any other book in the Bible. So we see that he is on, he is on the throne. And so we see... Uh, so he says that until I make until I provide victory 
for by the Son of God. Now, when you when I, he makes your enemies your footstool, then if you go back to Joshua ten twenty four or 1 Kings five three, and there's a lot of other passages, and historically, uh, you didn't want to be conquered by a Middle Eastern king because they had some just kind of humiliating ways of letting you know who was boss. And uh, many times we know they would cut off their thumbs and big toes and let them eat the crumbs off the table uh, in the palace. Uh, but one well, of the first things they did was put their, their uh, foot or their feet on the necks of their vanquished foes and basically saying, I can kill you if I wanted to. I can kill you with my foot. And, of course, they would be bound, so they couldn't do anything about it in the first place. And so he says, and so the Lord is saying, God, God the Father is saying, God the Son, uh, I'll take care of it. And I will make your enemies your footstool. Now, but then we see that it's the Lord Jesus who comes in the battle of Armageddon. And so he's the one fighting too. So tell me which one is fighting. They're the Trinity. You can't separate them. You know, three, uh, uh, three and one. And so uh, we see that. Uh, it's the two years. So, but notice he says also in verse. Well, let's turn back over to uh, Psalm one ten. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send a rod, your strength out of Zion. Now, in other words, we know that the Lord is going to rule with a rod of iron. And he's going to send a, but out of Zion. And what uh, what uh, city is um, that uh, has that is um, located in Zion, the capital of the world, Jerusalem. So the Lord is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. And so, and He will vanquish the foe. He says, "Rule in the midst of your enemies." And so again, uh, we'll see. In fact, we'll uh, we'll see tinges of uh, Armageddon here in just a moment. But he says, uh, "Now notice the next thing in verse three. He says, "Your people shall be volunteers, not draftees, not uh, slaves, but you're going to have a whole army with you." Where do we see that? Revelation chapter nineteen. Verse 14, where the Lord Jesus is on a white horse and all those with him are on a white horse. And so we see again, we're volunteers. And, but there again, we won't have to do any fighting. He's going to do it all with himself with the sword that he has from his mouth. And so we see, um, and notice he says some very poetic lang- language, the beauties of holiness I know I shall see in thy beauty the king in whose law I delight. And so where do we see the beauty of his holiness? We see that again in the wedding and supper of the Lamb, where he takes us and he gives us white robes, and those white robes are what? The righteousness of the saints. We are not holy except how that he declares us righteous and declares us holy. He's the only one that can make us holy. That's why I tell people, you don't come to church to be holy. 
you come to church to learn how to be holy. And, uh, of course, being obedient to the Lord is part of holiness. But, uh, you know, don't get the fact that simply because you come here and sit, you know, in a church service means that you're holy. No, it's, Lord, please open my mind that, uh, and, and fill it with the good things of God. Tonight, Lord, whoever's listening to us on the Internet, oh, that God would, would make you holy and make us holy um, because I need it. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And uh, I never want to get to the point where I don't need God. I was listening to, I think it was Erwin Lutzer this morning. He was talking about being on a plane with a lady, and she was talking about how good she was and uh, how, what, what church she went to and what a member she was. And, and he said, uh, my, and she, he was saying, well, you know, so are you holy? So is there anything, are you holy? Or I forget how he put it. But, oh, I'm, I'm good. You know, it's one of those things. He said, well, my. You know, the Lord had to come save sinners like me. Uh, you know, and, and you know, that's, I forget exactly how he put it, but, it was, you know, it's pretty, it's a pretty serious matter that you don't need him. <laughs> you know, it really, you know, uh, no, we never get to the point where we don't need the Lord Jesus. We'll never get to sinless perfection. And so we must realize, as Paul said, the Lord Jesus came into sinner, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am, not was, chief. You know, if Paul says that after being saved for two decades, how in the world could I uh, not say that myself? So we see that uh, we're going to come in the beauty of his holiness. And this, uh, here's some lofty Hebrew language again. The womb of mourning. Isn't that an interesting statement? The womb of mourning. When you think of womb, what do you think of? Birth. You think of, you think of new birth. And the dew of your youth. And again, what do you think of morning dew? So you're thinking freshness. Uh, I got up, for some reason I couldn't sleep this morning. And uh, I got up about 5 o'clock. It was still, well, let's see, a little, little early, about 4, four o'clock, four, about 4.30. And I said, you know, since I'm just laying here in bed, I'll get up and do some studying. And I, was, I felt so fresh. Now, it didn't last all day, but, you know, it felt good to get up in the morning. I wish I was a morning person, just woke up, you know, clear as a bell uh, every morning. Um, I think it was R.A. Torrey said that uh, that's the way he was. He woke up, at, he went to bed at midnight and got up at 5 o'clock every Every day, I wish I could do that, but I'm not clear as a bell after about the third day. I'm as dull as a cucumber or whatever. But uh, you know, I got problems. But uh, there again, the whole idea is, you know, you're awake, you're fresh, and of course, new life in Christ. And when we are redeemed, and we're at the wedding supper, that's going to be a great time. And we're, you know, uh, we're just starting out eternity with our Lord Jesus. And so we see that uh, he says that we're going to be volunteers with him. And then we see, first of all, then we see the coronation of Jesus, Jesus Christ, the king. But then we see also the consecration consecration of him in chapter, or Psalm 110, verse 4. And this is another one of those key passages. Notice, Jehovah, Jehovah has sworn. In other words, he's taken an oath. He hasn't said something dirty or whatever else. But, uh, uh, and of course, the writer of Hebrews tells us that it is impossible for himself, for, the, for God to lie. Therefore, he took an oath of him, in himself. 
And of course, he was talking about the priesthood. And the priest forever, not after the order of Aaron. Aaron died. Aaron had a beginning. We know who his parents were. And we know where he died. And at what age he was when he died. We know all that. Melchizedek appears on the scene and disappears. He, and the writer of Hebrews says he, he, there's no recorded beginning or ending with him. And this is, and of course he was before Aaron. He was before, or he was during the time of Abraham. So he said the priesthood would be, come from a king, not from a Levite. And the ultimate priest, of course, is the Lord Jesus. And so he's both king and priest. And you go back to Genesis 14 to find out. And notice he's a priest forever. What does that mean? He'll never die. You remember in the book, in the book of Leviticus, it talks about different things like the, uh, the cities of refuge and how that uh, uh, a person who would flee there had to stay there until the priest died. Well, you'd have a hard time with Melchizedek. <laughs> You're going to stay there forever. And so, uh, so he was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And of course, there was two major lines in the Old Testament that are vitally important. And that's why you see the begats and all this, and even the book of Matthew begins with the begats because it's to prove that Jesus is the son of David. And then the priesthood uh, goes up through Ezra and so forth. But of course, it was dealing with the priest, priesthood. And that's why it was so convoluted well, by the time the Lord Jesus came. And Paul, we talked about Ananias, was a political king. He was appointed by Caesar. That's not, uh, not a king, but a, a priest. So he was an illegitimate priest and a corrupt as the day was long. And so the Lord Jesus is the perfect priest, and he was the eternal priest. And so the priesthood ended, but the Lord Jesus will restore it one day. But uh, so we see that uh, he swore by himself that he was a, after the priesthood of Melchizedek, not Aaron. And so uh, this was this is another one of those vital, uh, vital. Uh, passages in the Bible, the whole doctrines, New Testament doctrines are built on those two verses. And so they're vitally important. And then we see his vindication. And this is kind of, this is, uh, just shows you the conquering, or the Lord Jesus is conqueror. Notice he says, at your right hand, we already know that uh, the Lord is at your right hand. They've talking to Adonai is at the right hand of the Lord. Uh, he will execute kings in the day of his wrath. Will the Lord Jesus execute kings in the day of his wrath? Definitely. He's trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. We see that in, uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 16. Uh, he shall judge among the nations. We know he's going to come and plant his feet on Mount... Uh, okay. Um, I want to say Mount Sinai, but... Mount of Olives, I'm sorry, the Mount of Olives, and he's going to march into that eastern gate, Isaiah or Ezekiel chapter 44, and he's going to purify and rebuild the temple, and it's going to last for how long? A thousand years. And then there won't be any need 
for a sun and moon in heaven, the new Jerusalem, because the Lord Jesus is the temple and he's the light. But here we see that he will judge among the nations. He shall fill his places with, or fill the places with dead bodies. That's gross. But the book of Daniel tells us that at the battle of Armageddon, it's going to take nine months to bury the dead. That's a lot of people. And so again, we see that uh, this speaks of prophecy. It's speaking of when the Lord Jesus comes again and he sets his feet on Mount Olives and he's going to rule and reign. He's going to destroy Satan or put it, bind Satan. And he's going to throw him and the Antichrist into the lake of fire and all that. Now, notice he will also execute the heads of many countries. So this can mean one of two things. Execute, is he going to kill the kings or the heads of many countries? Or does that mean he's going to become the executive and become the heads of many or the head of many countries? Um, and notice uh, this is another one of those flamboyant uh, Hebrew phrases or uh, verses where you have to realize that it is Hebrew poetry. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. That's one of the things that uh, a ruler, whenever they would conquer a city or whatever, and there was a major barrier there, and they crossed the river, then they would drink from that river. Now, Patton did something else. I won't tell you what it was, but every time he crossed a major river, he, he desecrated it. But uh, there again, uh, he made sure that his troops knew, hey, folks, we're here. And so, uh, again, we see that you shall drink at the brook by the wayside, and there shall, therefore he shall lift up the head, or he shall, of course, he will lift up the leader, or he will be the leader. And, his, and I like what Spurgeon says, his own head shall be lifted high um, in victory, and his people in him shall be upraised, or shall be upraised also. And so it's like a, a rising tide does what? Lifts all boats. But when the Lord Jesus is lifted up, he lifts up those who are with him. When he's exalted, his people are exalted. When he's glorified, he shares the glory. Now he will share it, but he will not allow us to take it from him. What I mean is he will give it to us, but we can't, he will not let us compete for it. In other words, if I start getting the glory and God doesn't, guess who gets, who gets jealous? And it's a godly jealousy. Because, of course, to God be the glory. And, he'll, and when he's, when he's the, the light, I'm the reflector. But if the sun goes out, will the, sun, will the moon shine? No. And so God has designed that he, I reflect and you, this church reflects the glory of God. But we do not take the glory of God because he will share his glory with nobody else in that sense. Does that make sense? I hope. Okay, uh, that's a lot of doctrine in about 30 minutes or about 25 minutes. I mean, and we just scratched the surface. But uh, any questions about what we looked at tonight? You have a prophet, priest, and king. You have a savior who loves you and gave himself for you. And he did it voluntarily. And he laid down his life for his friends. But he rose again. 
And now he is in heaven, as the writer of Hebrews says, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Um, and the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. We know that the Spirit himself, Romans 8, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so we have the Comforter and the Convictor, the Holy Spirit, and we have, of course, the Advocate, our Lord Jesus, as he goes before God the Father. <laughs>